it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Bottom of the hour. He was the 16th Supreme Allied Commander of NATO. Admiral James Starvitas will be with us. Best selling author, too. A lot going on in Ukraine and China. And Dan Hoffman. He is. Uh, former CIA station chief, served in Moscow, Iraq, Pakistan, South Asia, Europe, and more. So uh, we have a, it's an exciting show. I know everyone is probably on the road or thinking about uh, Labor Day. Maybe you're off today. Thanks so much for making this part of your listening uh, uh, schedule. And if you're listening to the podcast, thank you for that, too. You always get it at BrianKillMeetShow.com. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. This um, administration has had the strongest response to economic competition and national security of any we've seen in decades. Beginning to hold China accountable in a way this country has not for too long. Yeah, Congresswoman Mikey, uh, Mickey Sherry, Cheryl is not telling you the truth. The China problem, it's twofold. Their belligerence and our ignorance. I'll explain. Number two. We must expedite work visas. It's just common sense. We need the national government to stand up. This is not a New York City issue. This is a national issue. You're right, Mayor Adams. Border busted. Administration's blaming Republicans. Can you stop laughing? Yeah. While overrun Dem states with Dem governors have told us to work it out for ourselves. Yeah. The family fight like we have not seen it before in the Democratic side. It'll leave all of us poorer. Number one. The basic principle in the criminal justice system is if a prominent person commits a crime and there's a, and a seeking office, that doesn't give him immunity. The idea that this is interfering with the election is simply wrong. It is interfering with the election. That's true. 2024, the question is, does it matter? 2024, the not-so-subtle multi-front fight to keep Trump off the ballot while the rest of the Republican field fights for the spotlight, and picks up their intensity. So one of the big things that no one's uh, talking about, because it's been going on for over a year, it's not unusual, is what's going on in Ukraine. People are like, oh, they're pretty much in a stalemate. Not really. The counteroffensive has not been as bold, as brisk as everyone thought, but they are making gains. With me right now to discuss it and what's going on in Russia. This is, uh, uh, what's his name, the head of the Wagner Group, was just knocked out of the sky. It looks like he is dead. What's going on there? Let's bring in Daniel Hoffman. Dan, great to see you. Thanks. Great to see you in person for a change, I know. Brian. It's been since when? <laughs> it's been a long time, many years since right. before COVID. Wow. Uh, so on this, I mean, we have not talked to you about since the Wagner Group guy was uh, knocked out of the sky two days ago. There's some video of him out in Africa. Do you believe he's dead? Yeah, he's dead. Uh, Vladimir Putin admitted as such. Uh, those are dated videos. He did travel to Africa. He's been in Belarus. But, uh, yes, uh, that was a public execution, and uh, Putin was responsible for that. Why do you wait so long? Well, I think he needed time to vet the Wagner group and also to vet his own military. Remember, Prigozhin took his mutiny to within 150 miles or so of Moscow, and that called into question the loyalty of a lot of those Russian troops uh, who Putin expects loyalty from them. So he needed that, and then he needed time uh, as a good sniper to pick a time and place of his own choosing – to 
to mount this public execution of Prigozhin, do it in a way that's sort of not so plausibly deniable, but at the same time very clear to his own intelligence services and military that, yeah, it's the Kremlin who did it. Because if you betray Vladimir Putin, your days on this earth are going to be numbered. Well, number one, he did kill more than Prigozhin. He killed some other Wagner Group members. Does he know that that was one of his finest fighting forces? Is he comfortable destroying it? Right. And that's the beauty of what Ukraine did. You know, while our administration was telling the Ukrainians that they could pull out of Bakhmut, Zelensky made it clear that Ukraine would stand and fight there. They killed reportedly as many as 20,000 Wagner troops there, mercenaries. And that's what drove a wedge between Yevgeny Prigozhin, the deceased now leader of Wagner, and the Russian government. Prigozhin was critical of the Minister of Defense, Sergei Shoigu, for not supporting him. And he had to lay the blame somewhere. He laid it at the feet of, of, of Shoigu and the Army Chief of Staff Gerasimov. And that's what started this, this wedge between Wagner and the Russian government. And this is good to, to make Wagner a less effective fighting force. And Gerasimov has been an epic failure. Right. He has. I mean, this has been a massive failure for Vladimir Putin in every way, in every way. Spilled blood and treasure, a brain drain where more Russians, over a million, have fled. Never, never thought about that. Everyone just got out when they could. They've all more have fled Russia than have been mobilized. Now, the question is, do we take advantage of this? Ukraine is defending Europe from Russian aggression. They are cutting Russia's army down to size and causing a crisis of confidence in the Kremlin, the likes of which. We've not seen since the days of Gorbachev and the failed KGB coup in 91. What about the drone attacks inside Moscow four straight days? Listen, it's not going to bring the city down, but there's something else being done by sending a message. General Jack Keane is the foremost expert on that war, and he's absolutely right that this is meant – to, uh, to cause that crisis of confidence in Russia, to let the Russian population know that the war is coming to them, and to let Vladimir Putin know that Ukraine can inflict harm on Russia. Interesting, drones are really hard to pick up with air defense, and Ukraine is demonstrating that. We are witnessing a new era in fighting, asymmetric warfare, and Ukraine has been expert at achieving great results. But they've taken a pounding from drones, too. Iran supplied drones, and now it looks like the Russians are able to do it themselves. Yeah, I mean, the Russians have a supply of drones from, from Iran and artillery from North Korea, and they're getting a lot of money from China. They're Isn't that pathetic that a superpower has to get money from those two rogue machines? Yeah, and, and, and that's where Vladimir Putin is at. And I think if you asked his own security services, and Putin knows this, should we be aligned with, with, uh, with North Korea and Iran? I mean, Iran is a long-term strategic competitor of Russia. Uh, I think his own team would say – not a good idea. Not a good idea to be China's resource colony where we're just shipping cheap oil to China and buying their crappy manufactured and goods. And by the way, on a side note, then Europe is buying it from India and China, which I think – not in China, but then they're buying the cheaper oil from India, which is sustaining Russia indirectly, and I think that's evil. Yeah, I mean India is not paying much for it, and it is hurting Russia's economy, uh, but there's no question we could be hurting them even more, though – I think the Biden administration understands that that increasing the supply of oil on the markets before the presidential election, also not a bad idea. Ron has also been increasing their oil output. It must be surreal for you to have been stationed in Moscow and then see drone attacks in Moscow. You've been reading about those attacks in uh, during the World War II and World War I, but to see it happening again. Yeah, I mean, I'm a little nostalgic, and a part of me wishes I were still there. I, I witnessed a terrorist attack when I was in Moscow, and I traveled all over Russia. I went to Dagestan and Chechnya, Ingushetia, visited Beslan. Uh, 
the fact that drones are shutting down tra- air traffic at major airports, at Damadyedova, at Vinukova, at Sheremetova. These are places that, that, that there's massive amount of, of civilian uh, flights from, from these locations, and they are shut down for days because of Ukraine's uh, effective uh, drone operations. All right. Uh, also, uh, we are also noticing that they're sinking ships around the uh, Crimea Bridge because there's a sense that they're going to be targeted by uncrewed ships that the Ukrainians are sending over, kind of uh, hulks, their bombs to start cutting off not only that, the symbol of that land bridge, but that is also where they get a lot of their military, uh, a lot of their artillery and reinforcements. Right. I mean, that's Ukraine's strategy right now. Get to the Sea of Azov, uh, cut off the land bridge. They want to recapture the land that Russia illegally annexed by force. That's Crimea and Donbass. And Ukraine has a good strategy there, and what they need isn't, as they their Ministry of Defense put out in a, a Twitter post today, that you know they don't need advice, they need ammunition. That's what President Zelensky said when, when this administration offered him a ride out. He said, I don't need a ride, I need ammunition. The fight's here. And he, President Zelensky has stuck with that, uh, and it's been his... Um, his courageous leadership of, of Ukraine has really awakened NATO and the West from their post-Cold War slumber. And we're seeing the effects today, but I wish we were doing more, as you and I have talked about, the long-range artillery attackums, the F-16s. We could have been giving Ukraine this stuff. We have not given them one tank. We could have been doing all of this a year and a half ago. And we were slow giving them javelin anti, anti-tank weapons. We were slow giving them Patriot air defense. And that is what's made this counteroffensive bloody. When you don't have combined... Um, effect from from close air support, it's really hard to mount a counteroffensive as Ukraine is trying to do. What about demining equipment? They don't even have proper demining equipment, which is not expensive. And, I mean, just be able to, to throw these chains in these fields to right. blow up these uh, mines ahead of time. Uh, lastly, uh, you mentioned on the offensive, there was a breakthrough. Some, some towns, I kind of butcher their names, uh, but I understand there's been a, a breakthrough Robotia and, uh, is one of them. Uh, I thought it was Robotine. That's how I was going to say it. Yeah. And now they push through it, and they're going for Verbov. Right. So what's significant about that, that they could leave that town they got, they really feel as though it's not threatened, and move forward? I mean, it's a slow-moving counteroffensive. Their goal is to get to Melitopol uh, through another city called Takmak. Um, again, very slow going. But the thing about all of this is that and, and General David Petraeus likes to emphasize this. You just don't know when the Russian military may just wilt away at some point because their morale is so low. It may appear to be slow going, and then all of a sudden things start to collapse. And, and very difficult to predict that, but we're all watching it very closely because the Russians are in a bad place. And uh, and we'll just have to see. I think the Biden administration is rightly so con- concerned about the chaos that would follow a post-Putin Russia because – when Russia loses, and I, I do believe they're going to lose, Putin's already very tenuous grip on the Kremlin is, is going to mean that he's removed. And what follows him is going to be a big question for our intelligence community. So the Wagner Group has remnants in Belarus where that deal was struck to avoid the invasion. And there is a report that they're gathering together. Are they a threat to Poland? I think they're a threat first to Belarus. The Wagner Group mercenaries who are in Belarus are not there to provide support and assistance to their Europe's last or second to last dictator, Lukashenko. They're there to ensure that <clears> Belarus <throat> toes the line, Russia's line. Really? That's, that's what Vladimir lo- Putin... Have they shown loyalty to Russia? 
the the Wagner guys who who are still alive on this earth are vetted and loyal to Vladimir Putin, I would say. And if they're not, then the Russian FSB, the Federal Security Service, will find them and do what they did to Prigozhin. That would be my – I would say that with a fairly high level of, of, of confidence. Uh, Belarus has no control over the, over the nuclear arms that have been transferred to Belarus. That's at Russia's control. And in a sense, this is Russia asserting control over Belarus at a tenuous moment, even though Lukashenko likes to play himself off as the guy who, who <clears throat> crafted this deal to end the mutiny. So Wagner Group's there policing Lushenko. You don't think a threat to Poland, which would be insane to threat Poland. They actually have a military. Right. And do you want to really exercise them? That would, wouldn't that be – oh, actually, a paramilitary attack, not a Russian attack, would make NATO wonder if the Rule 5 was going to be enacted. I think that would it be enacted because the Russian state has made it clear now that Wagner is a part of the Russian state. Putin has even admitted how much money he's been paying off the Wagner mercenaries and, and the massive contracts that they've had. Uh, I think sometimes those are, are incendiary words. We've seen this rhetorical nuclear brinkmanship from uh, Putin's deputy national security advisor, former president and prime minister Dmitry Medvedev. It's designed to induce the Biden administration not to give Ukraine what they need when they need it because of this supposed threat of, of a tactical nuclear attack. You uh, lost your wife to cancer. I did. Uh, and it's devastating you and your family like it would any family. Uh, everybody understands that. But you're taking action. When we come back, we'll find out what the action plan is and how people can participate. Is that all right? That sounds great. Thank you so much. No problem. Daniel Hoffman here, and then we're going to go to Admiral James Stavridis. Busy hour. So glad you're here. Brian Kilmeade Show. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Hey, folks. It's your man, Keyshawn Johnson, here to talk about Angie formerly known as Angie's List, your go-to home services, marketplace for getting all your jobs done well. Now you might be wondering, what exactly is Angie? Well, let me tell you. It's the nation's largest home services marketplace, connecting over 150 million homeowners with skilled professionals to tackle any project, big or small. As a homeowner myself, I always have things I want to work on for my house whether it's general home renovations or fun projects like putting in a pool. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it a breeze to research, compare, and hire pros, ensuring every job is done well. Whether you're fixing a leaky faucet or planning a full kitchen renovation, Angie's got your back. And get this, folks. Angie's pros aren't just any old contractors. They're your neighbors, often running small businesses right in your community. Plus. They've been rated and reviewed by others in your area. So you know you're getting quality service. So why stress over home projects when you can turn to Angie? From finding the best price to scheduling a pro at your convenience, Angie's got you covered every step of the way. So get started today at Angie.com. That's Angie.com or download the app today to get started on getting all your jobs done. That's Angie, your trusted ally in home services. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Hey, we're back. Daniel Hoffman still here, former CIA station chief. Always brings us insight on intelligence and all things military aspect uh, here at home and in, in security. Uh, but, Dan, uh, you lost your wife to uh, cancer. How many years was she battling? She fought cancer bravely for a little over four years. How have you and your family been able to deal with that? 
So my, my sons and I, you know, we grieve together. We remember my wife every day. We think about her every day. And we honor her memory uh, by working with the Jesse Reese Foundation and helping kids in the fight for their lives against pediatric cancer. If you're watching on Fox News, you can see uh, Eric Reese is here. Uh, Jesse uh, Reese uh, passed away at the age of 12. Yeah. And how difficult, can you put into words how difficult that is? You know, Brian, I, I miss my daughter every day. Um, and to not only hear your child has cancer, but to hear that it's terminal and you have 12 to 18 months with her was devastating. You heard that in the same breath? Yes, from the doctor. So, And this is the kickoff of Childhood, Aware, Childhood Cancer Awareness Month. Yeah, September is Childhood Cancer Awareness Month, and we're so honored to be kicking it off here on your show and um, here in New York and uh, spreading joy to kids fighting cancer around the world. Um, Jesse used to say, Daddy, I feel lonely and limited, and I never want a child to ever feel alone. And so, you know, we create these fun-filled joy jars and send them out to kids fighting cancer to boost their day. We don't cure cancer. We cure bad days caused by cancer. Right. And a lot of you support childhood cancer. That's with the scientists and everything to move forward. But meanwhile, uh, while the patients battle, they got to get their mind off it. And that's what your son got you involved with, right? That's right. My son, Jaron, who at the time was 12 years old, showed a lot of empathy and said, Dad, Jesse Reese, she was my age when she passed away. And he Did they said, know each other or just hear no, about they did not know each other. We were connected uh, through a mutual friend, Caitlin Sandinow, Olympic gold medal swimmer, who uh, is a spokesperson for the Jesse Reese Foundation. And when my son and I had the same conversation that Eric once had with Jesse about whether he wanted to work on the cure for cancer or the care, he thought of all the times we'd spent with, with his mom and, and how we cared for her and boosted her resilience by giving her the love and the support she needed. I used to joke that her joy jar was a caramel macchiato and, and, a, and a short walk as long as she could handle when when she could get out and walk. Um, and so uh, that's why my son devoted himself to Jesse Reese Foundation. He raised $200,000 last wow. year. We stuffed 3,000 uh, joy jars at our local Tyson's uh, One Life Sport and Health gym. And uh, I'll tell you, at the end of that day, um, we felt like We'd honored my wife's memory, and it meant the world to my sons and I. God bless Jesse Reese for right. bringing our families together and giving us an opportunity for this philanthropy that soothes our broken hearts. When did when did Jesse pass away? January fifth, two thousand twelve. So we got ten months and two days with her. Wow! And since that time, have you been had this action plan? Yeah. So um, you know, Jesse's motto was never ever give up or nigu. And so after Jesse passed, we decided as a family to keep going. And, uh, you know, we've now sent out over 450,000 joy jars to kids fighting cancer in all 50 states and 53 countries. A lot of times the first time that happens to you is the first time you realize how many kids have cancer. Was yeah, that every stunning year. to you? 400,000 children a year are diagnosed with cancer. And do you feel as though they're making progress? Yeah, there are some, um, you know, and again, I can't wait for the cure people to put me out of business. Um, that'd be a great day. No more childhood cancer. But until that time, we believe every child fighting cancer Deserves joy, the opportunity to smile, and be encouraged to never, ever give up. And that's NEGU.org to where yes. to go, right, to donate? Or there's a way to text and donate? Yeah, they can text NEGU, N-E-G-U, to 41444. Right. And, Dan, you're going to continue with this, you and your family? Yes, we are. We've got, uh, a, we had a gala here uh, in Manhattan at Spyscape Museum back in, in May, and, and we're going to have a swim-a-thon in February where huh. we raise money for kids. 
uh, again, we want to continue this philanthropy, and, and we're working closely uh, to do that. All right. Uh, it's been great to meet, meet you, Eric. And, Dan, it's great to see you uh, in person for the first time in a long time. And you're always a man of action, and that's not stopping even now for a great cause. Hey, Admiral Stavrid is next. Brian Kilmeade Show. Thanks, guys. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The things that need to change are being changed. This um, administration has had the strongest response to economic competition and national security of any we've seen in decades. Beginning to hold China accountable in a way this country has not for too long. Uh, there you go. Uh, that is a totally hyperbolic, ridiculous statement. Uh, this administration has some made some moves to control China, but they've done sending four high-ranking officials to visit that country and say we want to just, we don't want to decouple is, to me, insane. Uh, Admiral James Tarvidis might have a different view. Supreme, 16th Supreme Allied Commander at NATO, currently a member of the Carlisle Group. He's a, a multiple best-selling author. Admiral, welcome back. Great to be with you, Brian. And, uh, I'm down in Jacksonville, Florida, a town you know pretty well, and we just dodged a hurricane. So we're feeling good uh, headed into Labor Day weekend. Yeah, I'm going to be coming down to visit you, so hopefully we can uh, meet up and yeah. and play Stratego. <laughs> or risk. <laughs> Which I will lose. Uh, uh, <laughs> I think you're overqualified. But I don't know. I, I just am frustrated. We're recognizing slowly the the challenge of China. They are telling us what they're about. They're about displacing us every way possible. I'm not even convinced that those tens of thousands coming through our border over the last two years, Chinese uh, nationals, are not part of a master plan. Do you think this administration is up for this challenge or recognize it? I don't think China has a detailed master plan pushing people across our southern border, for example. But you are absolutely right. Uh, we are waking up to it. And I think a way to think about U.S.-China relations, Brian, is it's not going to be an on and off switch. We're not going to wake up on Tuesday morning and just turn off China and completely decouple the way we were decoupled from the Soviet Union uh, during the Cold War. That's that's not going to happen. It's not, frankly, in our interest to do that. What we ought to be doing is kind of thinking of this like a rheostat, like the dimmer on the uh, dining room wall. And we ought to be dialing down our relations with China. And there I think the administration is leaning a little too far forward, appearing to be the supplicant in too many of these high-level visits. I think we need to kind of freeze the frame and let China be more responsive to us Again, dialing that rheostat toward a more balanced relationship between these two nations. If you were involved, would you have, I mean, if you were involved in making decisions or asking for advice, would you say it's okay to send your Treasury Secretary, your Green Energy Secretary, whatever that is, Czar, uh, <laughs> would, you, would you be sending Gina Raimondo? Would you, be, would you be sending your Secretary of State there? What do you think that message is? Um, as I said, I think we are appearing a little excessively enthusiastic about sending our team over there. Um, I am looking for some level of reciprocity. And oh, by the way, missing from that uh, formation is the most important one. And that's the Secretary of Defense. We need to find a way to have uh, ongoing 
conversations between our two defense departments, between our militaries, because that's where the real risk is. So I think that it's fine to have open communication. I think some visits are fine. Where's the reciprocity? We haven't seen that. And where is the relationship uh, where we feel like we can pick up the phone and call the Chinese military when something really goes south in for example, Taiwan or the South China Sea. That's where the real danger is. Yeah, General Milley, the last time General Milley called on January 6th to say we're not bombing you. I think that was the last (laughs) constructive communications. Robert O'Brien was – I'm not kidding. Uh, Robert uh, Robert O'Brien, the former Trump national security advisor, and I think you would find a very reasonable guy. um, Yes. Cut 18. What we we do need to be concerned about is this appeasement of China. They're they're trying to use bricks to – to take away our, our advantage in the world. But they, they sent a spy balloon over America. And what was the response? Four cabinet secretaries go to Beijing and Janet Yellen bowed to, to Xi and Raimondo said she wants to help them, you know, bail them out of their economic crisis. When there's, you know, any, any bailout we, we give them will be used to, to build more platforms to, to threaten our, our sailors, airmen, Marines, soldiers, Coast Guardmen in the Pacific. I mean, this is this is ridiculous. They, the, the Biden administration started out pretty well when they were following the Trump policies, but now they're going to the old Democratic handbook of appeasement of China. And people are very worried, aptly so, of for Taiwan and everyone's they see in the relations like you would between the actions in Ukraine and how that's ultimately going to come out. But this is the difference, Admiral, from our normal conversation. Instead of talking about this rising economic power, we're talking about an economy that's sucking wind, growing at 3% instead of 8%, that has youth unemployment over 20%. Construction has virtually stopped. People aren't spending. They are mad at their government for the way they handled the pandemic. If I gave you those circumstances, and if you agree with the numbers I just gave you, uh, which is, we were just in uh, the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times, how do we best handle this opportunity? Some say that's when they're most dangerous. Having said that, they still are wounded economically. Uh, I think that this is a, a, a statistical way of saying we ought to be maybe a little bit less concerned about Chinese strength, which is what we were talking about two to three years ago, and be a little more concerned and attentive to these kind of weaknesses. So I agree with the thesis because we've seen again and again in history, Brian, when authoritarian leaders, authoritarian states have economic problems at home, what do they want to do? They want to blame them on somebody else. And that's when you could see an incident arising uh, between a U.S. destroyer and a Chinese destroyer in the South China Sea. You could see more aggressive moves toward Taiwan. You could see cyber attacks. You could see China lending real assistance, military assistance, which they have not done so far, thankfully. But you could see China moving toward more support to Russia. All of those, I think, are real concerns for us. And where we started the conversation, it means that we need to take a clear-eyed view of the dangers of China, which are not only their military capability and power, but also this restive, uncertain, kind of tottering economy at the moment, which could cause them to lash out. It's a moment of real danger. So I want to uh, shift, if I can, to Ukraine. And what the administration should be saying is how it's all related. They keep saying focus on China because the average person says, well, China's the problem. If you look at the overall strategy and the relationships between Russia and China, 
this is the fight, and China is watching, and it has everything to do with the future of uh, the economic superpowers, and they're playing a role. As you mentioned, they could be playing more of a role, but they one invaded the other, and even General, I think even China has to be saying, what were you thinking? So here's General Keene on the counteroffenses that's beginning to make some progress and how why they're targeting Crimea. Cut 23. Why is all this going on? They want to get to the south, shut off Russia's main supply routes, and therefore be able to bring all their long-range artillery drones much closer to Crimea and begin to attack Crimea with long-range fires, depots, fuel and ammunition, military bases, and force the Russians to pull back and eventually pull some of that military literally out of Crimea without having to physically attack it, which they would likely do next year if this operation is successful. So do you want to expand on that? Yeah, I think General Jack is, as usual, spot on. I'll add two points to his excellent analysis. Um, One is, if this counteroffensive continues to succeed, Brian, and the Ukrainians get through this long, very robust defensive line, guess what? Behind it, there's nothing, meaning that the Ukrainian military can then turn north or south and flank the Russians. Yeah, that is what military folk like myself and General Keene and Dave Petraeus and others are all watching for. They need that crack, get through, then you turn, if you will, left and right, and you're behind the Russian line. So watch for that. And then secondly, the thing I would add, and something Jack and I have both been advocating for for well over a year, of course, is the addition of F-16s. Part of the reason for giving the Ukrainians the ability to attack Crimea is it takes away the Russian ability to neutralize those F-16s when they come on the battlefield, which I think they will in four to six months. You'll hear other estimates. But I think those two points, in addition to what Jack just said, make me cautiously, and I I underline cautiously, optimistic that we're going to see some real traction over the next two to three months. I'm heartened by the fact that Moscow is beginning to feel this war. Four straight days of drone attacks in the capital. They blew up a couple of planes. For them to start this war put so much pain and actually kidnap kids and bring them into their country and them not feel it. There are reports that people in Russia don't even know a war is going on. So now they can't do that anymore. Exactly right. And this is bringing the war to the Russian people. And we're, we do it economically with sanctions. That Those are slow moving. Over time, they'll have more significant effect. But what the Ukrainians are doing, I strongly support. And, and occasionally you will hear, and you heard six months ago, oh, Ukraine shouldn't do this. It's too provocative. Provocative? Come on. The Russians have invaded. They're attacking. They're killing civilians. They're setting up torture chambers, rape rooms. We ought to be supporting the Ukrainian efforts to reach out and touch Russia. Uh, UAVs are a very good way to go about that. I think you'll see the Ukrainians use those even more effectively in the time ahead. So how do you feel about the I guess you guys pulled down the warthog. No one uses it. We got them in Nevada. How do you feel like sending them over there? And and what about all we hear about the Marines don't want tanks anymore? Where are those tanks? Can we send some of that stuff? <laughs> yeah, um, I think the answer to both those is uh, we ought to take a hard look at it. And the, the Warthog issue, this is the A-10 Warthog for listeners. 
It's a low-flying aircraft that is devastating against enemy uh, tanks, armored personnel carriers. It's relatively simple to fly. Um, and, yeah, they're in the boneyard right now. I think, however, Brian, I, for one, would say let's put the real focus on the F-16 multi-role okay. fighter and, and get all the aviation focus there. In terms of tanks, um, there are plenty of tanks in the system. The Europeans are providing them. Um, could we add a few more? Sure. Um, this is where we ought to continue to put the pressure on the Europeans. They're right there. Their tanks are right there. Their armored personnel carriers are there. They have excess in their systems. That's where the pressure point ought to be on the Europeans. All right. Uh, Admiral, I think that I'm, if I bring you into overtime, we have to double your fee. So I'm not willing to do that with the budget that we have. But I hope to catch up with you over the weekend, Admiral. Our audience, thanks for your insight. And hopefully we'll get some better and better news out of Ukraine because they deserve the success they're earning. I completely agree, and it's an important fight for the West. Thanks, Brian. Yes, uh, I wish more people would explain it like you do. Uh, 1-866-408-7669. We're going to come out and get your take on that. A lot of you don't agree with what the conversation we just had and how it directly affects America. I'm open to that. So feel free to call about that and also about 2024. Uh, The President of the United States, it's an all-out effort to keep him off the ballot. And I didn't even know about this whole 14th Amendment push. But in New Hampshire, it's a real problem. In California, it's a real problem. They're going to say if he's indicted, convicted, they're going to knock him off and make him ineligible to run. So can you imagine if the Republicans put out a nominee that's not eligible in certain states? You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Giving you everything you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. The basic principle in the criminal justice system is if a prominent person commits a crime and there's a, and the seeking office, uh, that doesn't give him immunity. If there's, if there's enough time to have it resolved before the election, it should be resolved. The idea that, oh, okay, well, I'm sorry, we'll let you get run in the election and then after we'll address it. That's not a principle of uh, the criminal. I mean, just think some mayor uh, charge, you know, charged with massive embezzlement. And he says, well, you know, it's a year and a half to the election. Let's put that on hold. Will I run for a re-election? It's silly. It's silly. Now, you can argue about whether he should have been charged and so forth. But the idea that this is interfering with the election is simply wrong. Oh, it's, it's actually interfering with the election. There's no question about that. The day before Super Tuesday, that means it's intentional. The reason you decide to investigate a businessman that's been in business and famous since 1980 in 2022, now 23 in trial in New York with Letitia James Sibley, is you're trying to bankrupt a candidate. You're not trying to get to the bottom of business, especially when you have all these people committing smash and grab crimes across the country, uh, across New York City. You got immigrants coming out your ears, uh, all these uh, legal activities, and you're going after a famous businessman because he's a Republican. And then when you look at what Alvin Bragg in a case that that happened, if it did happen, seven to ten years before the president even announced he was running and won his first term. You're talking about the other one. You know what I'm talking about with Alvin Bragg. And now you have a situation with documents. We still have a president who has classified documents in his garage, in his office, in his pen center, and his lawyer's office. We have not heard one thing about that, but this president's been charged. And I thought the president just did an unforced error with that. I said it before. 
on the January 6th thing, if you were so outraged by it, maybe you might want to investigate it before the January 6th committee. They grind up their papers and their research, even though we paid for it. And now Jack Smith pulled out of The Hague to do one thing, and that is derail Donald Trump and convict him if it's possible. So I know what William Barr is saying. He's like, well, if there's a criminal out there and he just decides to run for office, he could stop himself from being arrested because he goes, yeah, I'm running for mayor. I'm running for governor. Yeah, that might have been underhanded campaign finance reform, or I might have embezzled from the uh, my senior members down the block, but I'm running for office. So there is a rule about uh, prosecuting right before an election. We all know about that. And I'm not saying Donald Trump is pure snow, but this is a mission, it seems, to stop him any way possible. Usually when you point out, man, this is pure politics, they back off. Instead, they double down. Now, here is Molly Hemingway with the 14th Amendment, what it can mean. Cut to. These show trials that are taking place in Washington, D.C., New York, Atlanta as well, the whole point of the show trial is to secure a quick conviction so there can be some kind of pretense for left-wing state officials to try to keep Republicans off the ballot there. And that would be a really big situation, even in states where the Republican is not likely to win the presidential elector votes. Those states still matter for congressional races, Senate races, state and local races as well. It's pretty clear that this is the strategy. This is why these trials are being rushed through in a way that even left-wing activists say is somewhat surprising, but that's the whole point. It's a show trial to secure quick conviction. And that's uh, evil, because Republicans are going to get their revenge, and they're going to have Republican governor of Oklahoma, Texas, reliably red uh, states, uh, Arkansas, uh, Alabama. Hey, you know what? I don't like that Democrat. I think he did some underhanded thing, or I think his family business did. I think I'm going to start going to try to convict him. I think I'll indict him. And if I get a conviction, I'll knock him right off the Alabama ticket. Now, what's the big deal? You get knocked off of California. What's the big deal? You get knocked off in, uh, soon it's going to be Arizona. You get knocked off in Washington State. What's the big deal? You're not going to win it anyway. But here's the big deal. In a lot of those states, Republicans, the other party wins the congressional races and has a legitimate shot like John Tester in Montana like Joe Manchin of West Virginia. If you don't get your party going out because your president nominee is not on the ticket, down goes the House because there's no margin for error in New York. Blue. No margin for error in California. Blue. But they have a lot of key congressmen and women. And if they don't get the votes, everything goes to the Democrats. Fox News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. 1-866-408-7669. I come to you from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan, the home of the epicenter, I believe, no offense, Texas and Arizona, of the illegal immigrant crisis. And it's happening among Democrats because of a Democratic president. But if you talk to this press secretary, it's Republicans' fault, which, I mean, I'm surprised the whole press room didn't just erupt in laughter. We're, this hour, we're going to be joined by Christine Flowers and Harry Hurley. Uh, he's the fine host of WPG Talk Radio, 95.5 FM, 1450 AM. In a matter of moments, I'll tell you why Atlantic City matters so much to this conversation. But first, big three. 
Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. This um, administration has had the strongest response to economic competition and national security of any we've seen in decades. Beginning to hold China accountable in a way this country has not for too long. Uh, there you go. Uh, Mikey, uh, Mikey Sherrill, uh, the Democrat from New Jersey. China problem, twofold, their belligerence and our ignorance. I'll explain. Number two. We must expedite birth visas. It's just common sense. We need the national government to stand up. This is not a New York City issue. This is a national issue. There you go. Uh, Mayor Eric Adams, we're going to discuss this. The border busted administration blames Republicans. You can stop laughing now. While overrun Democratic states with Democratic governors are told to work it out for yourself. A family fight like we have not seen before among the left. Let's talk about it. Number one. The basic principle in the criminal justice system is if a prominent person commits a crime and there's a and the seeking office, that doesn't give him immunity. The idea that this is interfering with the election is simply wrong. It is interfering with the election, but I know what you're saying, that if you have a criminal and just say, okay, I have a way to avoid jail. Let me just run for an office. That's a problem. I don't think that's the case here. That's Bill Barr. 2024, the not-so-subtle multi-front fight to keep Donald Trump not... Uh, out of the White House, but off the ballot so he doesn't get in the White House. We'll discuss it. Uh, let's discuss that first, too, with Harry Hurley. He talks about this on his show all the time. Uh, he's going to be coming up in 10 minutes uh, and discussing this. But I, I want to I begin right now with William Barr just said. I do think he's fair. I know he's got to be angry at Trump. He knows how hard he worked for him. He couldn't go along with the election, Lark. So he all of a sudden, Trump starts opening up at him and saying how weak he is. He's anything but weak. He's extremely strong and competent. He stood up to the blowback from everybody in the Washington establishment, including many Republicans who really thought the president of the United States was in bed with Russia. He exposed it, stood up to Robert Mueller. And I think forever the president would look at him as one of his most valuable cabinet members. Since that time, he can't go along with January 6th. He can't go along with all this other stuff. Doesn't mean it's illegal. But the president here in, in loggerheads right now. But the problem with what's going on is I look at New York, Alvin Bragg, pure politics. Letitia James, this guy's been a famous businessman since the 1980s, begged to take over a rink, begged to take over golf courses, begged for all types of campaign cash, and he gave it to both sides. And now he's so evil because he inflated properties to get loans, which he paid off. They're trying to bankrupt him. And then the Georgia, the documents case in January 6th case. January 6th, they wait two and a half years to get him just at the perfect time. The Georgia case, there's no way that should be tried locally. A lot of legal experts are laughing and astounded by the idiocy of trying to try all 19 at the same time. And then the January 6th, you had all that information. You wait two and a half years to do it. In the documents case, a self-inflicted wound. This is not something to put a president in jail for. It's all a huge distraction. But if he's convicted on any of these charges, and there's 90-plus Should you let a convict run for office? Is that a violation of the 14th Amendment? That would stop him from running. Now, you listen to the polarization. That's another situation. But the guy that's providing more impetus and more wind at the back for Donald Trump's candidacy and any Republican is is Joe Biden. He can't speak. His policies are ridiculous. He's always on vacation. Can't even answer a question when Hawaii is devastated. Any words on Hawaii? No comment. 
So his economic policy, 6 in 10 living pay to, paycheck to paycheck, our economic growth just at 2%. Uh, when you look at interest rates, makes it possible to float your payroll. It makes it possible to get loans, the collapse of the regional banks that happen, has regulations coming down so hard. Regional banks don't want to lend money to anyone, let alone the interest rates. That, along with what's happening at the border, makes people say, wait a second. Donald Trump had some crazy tweets and fired some people when he shouldn't have. But I thought we were feared. Many respected, even if they didn't like him. And economically, he was so focused on getting our economy humming, we missed that a lot. And when it comes to the border, much to the chagrin of Chuck Schumer, whose New York is being overrun right now, and Speaker Pelosi, whose crime has destroyed their city, and she has done nothing about it. You had a president in there who wanted to crack down on crime. He wanted to bolster the border. And all the problems he had were really generated by people who didn't want to see him succeed, and that hurt the country. But if there's a problem at the border, don't blame the guy that built 400 miles of wall and wanted to build 400 more. Instead, look at Joe Biden, who refuses to build the wall that we paid for. It's selling it off for pennies on the dollar before legislation would force him to build it. Listen to KJP yesterday, cut six. And you hear me say this over and over, Ed. The first day of his administration, he put forth a comprehensive immigration piece of legislation, the first piece of legislation. And while he's taking steps on his own, Republicans have made this an incredibly political issue. They have turned this into a, a uh, p- into political stunts that we have seen over and over and over again. I mean, do you believe a second of that? Do you believe that that Joe Biden put together a plan that's workable and he worked so hard to get the word out and twisted arms and wrists in order to get Mitch McConnell to sign off on it? It contains millions, amnesty for millions. I mean, and he never even talks about it. Whatever he put out in some white paper doesn't exist. So what's happened is we're getting 7,000 a day now. We're getting 3,000 every two weeks into New York. And the numbers are 84,000. And their way to answer this problem is to, in Massachusetts, ask families to open up their homes. Really? So don't open up to your family or friends. Unvetted illegal aliens from other countries open up your homes. They have at least the National Guard because they have 10,000. We have 84,000 in New York City. So Eric Adams asked the governor for money. The governor gives some money, but not enough, he claims. And then the governor asks the president for money. He doesn't even get a meeting with the president, gets a meeting with the chief of staff, at which time says, I gave you $100 million in different, uh, different places you could put them, one of which is Atlantic City, New Jersey, at an airport. The problem is New Jersey's governor and New Jersey people don't want him, even though this governor said, I want, I want to be a sanctuary state. So Eric Adams is incensed. The governor... Angry. I am furious, but for different reasons, because this is all self-inflicted. Here's Mike Lawler. Cut 11. Governor Hochul and Mayor Adams have been an absolute disaster in dealing with this crisis. Uh, And not only have they been behind the eight ball from the beginning, uh, but the very policies that they embraced for years uh, have created this crisis. Uh, The New York City shelter system was down to about 50,000 people in it. It's now up over 85,000. 
They've taken in over 100,000 migrants in just over a year. And since Joe Biden has become president, we've had 5.5 million migrants cross our borders illegally. Is that a policy? That's the Republicans' fault? We'll talk about where to put them. And what I was talking about, too, about Donald Trump and the attack on him, I mean, everything I just outlined, I won't go over again. But I want you to hear what Molly Hemingway said. Cut to. These show trials that are taking place in Washington, D.C., New York, Atlanta as well, the whole point of the show trial is to secure a quick conviction so there could be some kind of pretense for left-wing state officials to try to keep Republicans off the ballot there. And that would be a really big situation, even in states where the Republican is not likely to win the presidential elector votes. Those states still matter for congressional races, Senate races, state and local races as well. It's pretty clear that this is the strategy. This is why these trials are being rushed through in a way that even left-wing activists say is somewhat surprising, but that's the whole point. It's a show trial to secure quick conviction. I hear you, and I agree, Molly Hemingway. Uh, They want to get one conviction someplace, even if it's appealed. Uh, If they want to put him in jail, they just want to stop him from running effectively. Remember, Lee Zeldin delivered the House in many ways because everyone came out to support him. He fell just short in a Democratic state. The president will force a lot of people out because they want a new president whether it's Trump or whoever the nominee is, if you get rid of the nominee in New York and California, they're not going to come out and support the undercard like Mike Lawler. That would be devastating, and Democrats know it. When we come back, and by the way, I got, I got room for your call, so just be patient. Uh, Harry Hurley, right in the middle of this, Atlantic City, they want to take that airport and put illegals there. Atlantic City says, no way, we'll discuss it. Brian Kilmeade Show. Politics, current events, and news that affects you. Brian's got a lot more to say. Stay with Brian Kilmeade. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. This is a town of 50,000 people. Uh, Atlanta County can't do it. This town can't do it. It should have never happened. Hopefully it won't happen. We're going to fight this with every ounce of strength that we have. It is the wrong thing. You know, when we said what was happening at the southern border was going to affect the entire United States of America, this is what happens. It's not just I want people to listening out there. This is not just an Arizona problem or a Texas problem or a California problem. This is a United States of America problem. And now they want to come into our beautiful county, our beautiful South Jersey, and try to ruin that as well. Yep, they are. Uh, Joining us now to discuss how they're going to ruin it is Harry Hurley. Uh, Harry's with us now. Uh, He's got his own uh, agenda, but he's going to help us out now. He's a WPG Talk Radio host extraordinaire, 95.5 FM, uh, 1450 AM over in Atlantic City. Harry, how big a deal is this to the people of Atlantic City and New Jersey? Well, I couldn't be bigger, Brian. Great to be on your program. Best regards to your wonderful team, Allison, Pete, and Eric. Best in the business. Uh, Brian, this is a critical moment of truth that cannot be overstated. We have seen once great cities in this country destroyed by exactly what President Biden tried to lay on us uh, the other day in, in a communication that comes out. Now, imagine this, Brian. Imagine offering up Atlantic City International Airport for this purpose of housing illegal migrants who shouldn't be here in the first place, and you don't even talk to the governor beforehand. Governor Murphy, who's a good friend, we disagree 
politically, but a good friend has confirmed that the White House did not contact him prior to offering Atlantic City International Airport. This is a terrible idea. For those who don't know, if we ever had anything like a September 11, 2001 again, the New Jersey Air National Guard's 177th Fighter Wing, they're the heroes that would scramble on our behalf. This is a highly complex, secretive location that this has no business being here. It would be a disaster. And, Brian, we've seen what it has done around the country. We can't have it. And I'm proud to report everybody's on board, our senator, people of both parties, uh, everyone is on board. But, but Harry, aren't, isn't the, aren't most Democrats for being a sanctuary state? They just haven't passed it yet. Well, aren't is they ma- supposed to, are they yeah. supposed to let it go, let, embrace all immigrants? Well, just like uh, Governor, just like Governor Hochul, and just like Mayor Adams, he he was enthusiastically. Remember, uh, former Mayor uh, Kenny in Philadelphia, he was jumping up and down on YouTube doing a dance to "We're a Sanctuary City." But now they see what we knew in advance. They see what it has caused. He's not for it anymore. You hear Adams every day trashing the president, saying that you've got to fix the border. You've got to close that border. We can't take another person. So now President Biden's abject failure results in the destruction of our cities one by one. We've got to put a stop to it. Yeah, but here's the thing. Curtis Lewa of WABC, who's been at four or five events, gets arrested every time and they get their they get their migrant center. They can, the senior centers are converted, the fields are taken over, the tent cities are constructed, and the protests happen. In Staten Island, they want to secede from New York. I'm not sure if they'll go to New Jersey. You should make them an offer. Uh, they want to secede from New York because of what they're doing, but it doesn't work. And how dare the federal government offer your air base without even informing the people of Atlantic City, the governor, or anybody else? What's terrible, and I believe it's a direct byproduct of the president often drops the ball. He dropped the ball in Maui. That's why they say that, oh, my God, the fastest response ever when he said no comment multiple times, and it wasn't a fast response. And on this occasion, he's getting trashed now publicly by members. See, they had cover when Mayorkas would testify under oath, and these different people would say, hey, the border's not open, and they would would swear to this stuff under oath. Now they have prominent Democrats trashing them. Because they can't take it anymore. Yeah, I guess. So how is this going to play out? Well, 11 o'clock this morning, so right around the corner, we're going to have a meeting in Atlantic City of a lot of like-minded people, Republicans and Democrats, who all agree you have the chief of staff, who's a county official, to the mayor of Atlantic City. He is sponsoring a resolution uh, in total opposition to this. So we never see Republicans and Democrats get together on anything it's all part of, you know, the divided America that we are right now. This is an occasion where everyone, I haven't found one person that's been willing to go public and say this would be a good idea. Democrats, Republicans, also elections are the great equalizer. Thankfully, we have an election around the corner, so people want to be on the right side of the issue. They want to be on the right side of history. So we're going to do everything we can at our level to get the word out that this is unacceptable, that this cannot happen And we're going to put out intellectually honest rationale behind it. And since everyone is against it, you would hope – I know hope's not a strategy, Brian. You interview generals all the time. But it is my hope 
that the president would say, well, okay, this is an area I sent 11. We're not going here. But, Brian, I don't want this in the other 10. I mean, so what if we win? How about the other 10? They're going somewhere. I know. No kidding. Uh, Listen, I can't tell you how overrun everyone is. It is. You think the city's big and absorb anyone? No, not so fast. 84,000 people? No. You see the National Guard called out in Massachusetts. I think they have 10,000. Uh, so, so Harry, are people able to get tickets to our joint appearance that you're uh, putting together at the uh, that special event we're doing in uh, in your neck of the woods? Well, Brian, thank you for bringing it up. Friday, September 29th at Resorts Casino Hotel in Atlantic City. Brian is our master of ceremonies, our our guest of honor, our keynote speaker, and I cannot thank you enough for putting your amazing cachet. You're the hardest working person in our business. And I really appreciate you taking the time to do it. We're a sellout whether we announce it on the Brian Kilmeade show today or not. But if someone really wants to go, you can get a hold of me, Harry Hurley at AOL.com, probably email. Best way to do it. We'll get you in somehow, some way. But, Brian, we have a great crowd that cannot wait to welcome you. All right. I, I appreciate the invitation and the great cause. And, you're, and you are the man in New Jersey and Atlantic City specifically. Harry, thanks so much. Good luck on uh, WPG. Everybody there, we're, we're privileged to, to know that you're carrying the show at 95.5 and, to, and at 1450. Harry, go get him. Thank you, Brian. You too. You got Keep it. it up. When we come back, I want to open up this immigration talk and get the legal side of it I, and without, without political position. Because it's really not political. It's really pro-American. Uh, Christine Flowers is with us, immigration attorney, syndicated columnist. I want to know the ins and outs of, of, of what New Jersey can do, what New York City can do, what we can do. I think they're going to start putting him into Nassau County, where I live. And that is not a sanctuary place. That's a majority Republican place who believes that there should be the process before someone becomes a citizen. From his mouth to, to your ears, ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. Charged from the Congresswoman that the White House hasn't taken up recommendations from fellow Democrats on how to deal with this issue more through executive action or otherwise because of concerns of how Republicans might react, you would say what? I will say this. The president has done more to secure the border and to deal with this issue of immigration than anybody else. He really has. That is couldn't be more... Uh, incorrect. Christine Flowers joins us now, immigration attorney, syndicated columnist on how we got in this mess and how we deal with now and also the big picture. Christine, welcome back. Hey, Brian. It's wonderful to talk to you. And I'm I'm listening to Corrine Jean-Pierre. And as you said, no, no untruer words were ever spoken. I was down at the border um, about a month and a half ago. I was down uh, at McAllen, Texas, which used to be one of the most trafficked highly high volume areas for um you know for for people who were crossing the border and there are huge swaths of the border that are unattended and unfortunately it's causing havoc in those border towns which i know you want to talk about what's happening in new york city i just i find it incredibly ironic that this administration which is doing so little to try and stem the tide at the border um is is also not doing anything to to help the cities up north, I'm in, I'm in Philadelphia, and, and you're in you know, New York City and Boston, from dealing with the volume of mostly asylum seekers that are coming in. But when I hear Corrine 
talk. It's just, it's like she's doing stand-up comedy because nothing that she says rings true. And I've been doing this work. I've been an immigration attorney for almost 30 years, and I've been working under five, six different presidents. And to be quite honest, it has not been as bad as it is right now under President Biden. It almost makes you think it's intentional. Uh, No one can be this inept, but maybe they can be. Uh, because it is just so it's not hurting Republicans worse than it's hurting Democrats. Now, maybe a year ago, they said, what are you doing? You're undoing all these other policies. You stop with the pressure on the triangle countries. You stop uh, uh, threatening Mexico with tariffs to keep 20,000 Marines on your southern border. You've eliminated Title 42. Uh, so all this stuff has resulted in now we're back up to 7,000 a day. And we don't even know how many people are being just flown in because they're applying for citizenship on an app outside the country. So, well, I mean, yeah, um, no, I don't mean to interrupt you, but, you know, Brian, the, all you need to do is look at the wait times for people to actually have their cases heard in immigration court. I have clients who are scheduled for hearings in 2026, and that's not even as bad as some of the other cities in the United States. I mean, we're talking about seven, eight, nine, ten-year waits between the time that someone arrives and the time that someone is finally adjudicated. Something happens in their case. And it's it, the center will not hold. We cannot do this. And, you know, Eric Adams, mayor of New York City, is having a bit of a meltdown right now because of the Democratic policies, which uh, he has a city now that is being overloaded with people that they cannot keep pace with. And maybe now New York and Philly and some of the other northeastern blue cities will have some empathy for what was going on in the border towns in Texas and Arizona and Southern California. They used to call those those residents bigoted and uncaring and without empathy. And now that it's come home, now that they're here in our backyard, it's a totally different story. And I just I just find that completely ironic and, and somewhat hypocritical. So listen how they want to solve the problem. Uh, cut nine, Mayor Eric Adams. We must expedite work visas. It's just common sense. Thousands of jobs are available to be filled to provide the services we need in this city, this state, in this country. And to have a new wave of individuals coming here to participate in the American dream says it all. We need the national government to stand up. This is not a New York City issue. This is a national issue, and it must be resolved by the national issue. So don't critique what we've done. Don't tell us how we could have done it better. Don't sit in the bleachers and be a detached spectator on this full contact sport call asylum seekers. Get on the field and fight this battle with us. No, you start it. You fix it. You're the mayor. It's not up to me. I love this governor who wants to take a who in Massachusetts and called on the people of Massachusetts to take in an illegal immigrant. Are you kidding? Take in an illegal immigrant? And now they call that the National Guard for 10,000. Eric Adams, I welcome illegal immigrants. Now you have 84,000, over 100,000 passed through. Is there a problem, in your view, with allowing these illegal immigrants to work? 
Well, the thing is this. There is a mechanism, Brian. There's a way that they can work. It's called applying for work authorization. I do it all the time for all of my clients. Once you file for asylum, you wait 150 days, you apply, you um, you, know, you pay a certain – well, you actually don't have to pay a certain fee for your first application, and you get a Social Security number, and you get work authorization, and you're registered in the system, and you're documented, and people know who you are, how to follow you, what have you. Now they're complaining. Apparently, I was looking at an, an article about uh, Eric Adams complaining that it's taking 150 days to even be able to apply for work authorization. Listen, that's been the standard for as long as I've been practicing immigration law, again, since 1995. So this this idea that he wants to give, uh, it sounded like he wanted to gift visas to people to be able to start working immediately. That's not the way it works. You don't jump in line in front of other people. And, And at the same time, you know, I love the fact that he's he's now upset about this because it's come to his doorstep. Before, where was the anger? Where was the upset when all of these other border towns had to deal with the chaos of a border that wasn't being, you know, or, orderly um, surveilled? And it's only now. And I love the fact now that he's also, I know, you know, Governor Hochul is kind of at uh, loggerheads with him because, you know, the other 57 counties in New York don't want to take the individuals who are in New York. And he's saying that they have to. And it's kind of like this intra-democratic, intra-state fight, whereas you've got three people here. You've got Joe Biden, you've got Kathy the governor, and you've got Mayor Eric Adams. And none of them are competent enough to deal with this problem. None of them. Right. Uh, And the thing is, too, I worry about the magnet. All right. You you know, I'm I'm just going to assume this. I'll say the best scenario. Let's say they're all good people. Let's just say they're all good people. We know it's not possible statistically, but just so people don't think that we're anti-immigrant in this conversation. If Mm -hmm. you allow people to come in and bypass our laws and then live for free, three meals, menus, laundry service, uh, as well as a, a, a hotel room, you do that. And then you give them a job. What will you do to the magnet at the southern border? Well, this was the this was the whole thing with President Trump uh, a few years ago, with the, uh, the the attempt to sort of stem the tide at the border when people were coming over with children and what have you. I disagreed at the time with the child separation policy because I think it sure. was using a hammer or or you know a, a blowtorch to kill an ant. There were other ways to do this, and it caused huge problems. But I understood the policy behind it. If you discourage people from coming in by saying, listen, you're not going to be able to have your entire family come in here. It is going to stop the flow. And it did stop the flow. There was a stoppage for a period of time. And, you know, when you encourage people to come to the United States, you're not doing them a favor, Brian. The coyotes, the traffickers are the ones who are going to, to, to get the benefit. And I'm sure you've seen and your listeners have seen Sound of Freedom, an amazing movie, which talks about the crisis in human trafficking. This is a small part, but still a part of the whole problem at the southern border. Yeah, I, it, yeah, of course. And now we have, we have 80,000 missing kids. We're not saying they're yeah. all in danger, but we can't track them. We don't know where they right. are. Right, 
Exactly. It's, it's tragic. And I like the fact, and I agree with you 100 percent, this is not an anti-immigration conversation. I'm an immigration lawyer. I've been doing this for three decades. I love immigrants. I'm the child of, well, I'm the grandchild of immigrants. I, I honor our tradition and our heritage of welcoming the stranger. But there are limits to this, and you have to do it in an orderly fashion. And you, you cannot, the problem is there are people with legitimate asylum claims. There, I have, I have a number of, of clients who were threatened with death by the Taliban in Pakistan and, Af- and, and in Afghanistan. And they're not going to be able to get their hearings for years because the system is clogged with other cases, some of them legitimate, some of them not. So, you know, we're not doing any service to immigrants either by having this chaos in existence. And I, I blame, you know, I don't just blame the Democrats. Republicans haven't been helpful either. Republican Congresses haven't been cooperating with legislation. But right now, you know, the buck stops at the White House and the buck stops with Joe Biden, and he's doing nothing to help this. But listen to listen to what he said. Uh, listen to it. Uh, sound like the office. Listen, listen what she listen what she had to say. Cut eight. The president has done what he can from from here, from the federal government, from the White House, to put forth and manage our border in a safe and humane way, to respect the dignity of every human, as he says all the time, and making sure that our communities are safe. And you have seen him do that. But the system is broken. We want to do this in a bipartisan way. Republicans refuse to do that. So, I mean, put it this way. The comprehensive insurance, uh, uh, comprehensive Immigration reform is long overdue, and there's, there's stuff that they could agree on. But if you just can't secure, if you can't secure the border, we're never going to get anywhere. And Democrats in the 90s wanted to secure the border and wanted to build a fence, and so did Joe Biden and Chuck Schumer. Why is it do they think it's to their advantage to not? Yeah, that's so true. You made a great point. There was bipartisan agreement years ago under several different presidents. But when the Democrats took control of the um, of the House, they did not want Nancy Pelosi did not want to give a win to the Republicans on any kind of policy, immigration policy issues. And it's very, very easy to point fingers across the aisle. But we could have had a system that worked years ago. It's it's and it's incredibly frustrating to me because this is not an issue that should be politicized on either side. Unfortunately, you've got the the left pointing fingers and saying that Republicans and conservatives were just bigots and racists and we hate immigrants. Ugh. And it's 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 an easy out. And you know what it is, Brian? It's it's campaign slogans. It's it's sloganeering, and that's all we have. And the irony, too, is this week marks the second anniversary of our withdrawal from Afghanistan. Do you understand the the, the humanitarian and human rights debacle that was created by that withdrawal? Um, I'm dealing with some of that blow over or roll over, spill over, excuse me, uh, from people who were victims of the Taliban. So it's just, it's it's very upsetting, and I do not see an end, a light at the end mm. of this tunnel. And they're selling off the wall that would have helped to funnel a lot of those people. It was about 300, 400 miles of wall. They're just laying in the desert. Now they're selling of a scrap metal just on pure vindictiveness, if you yeah. if you ask me. So. We're not going to the 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 tide will continue to come forward. 
The cities will continue to be overwhelmed. They're going to look for federal government support. The federal government said no, but I'll point out some sites. Nobody wants them at their sites. And what's interesting is, and I might be overall good for the country, the Hispanic vote is tilting right, not left. And the, the Hispanics that are here do not like others that break the system that they adhere to for the most part. And they are looking around saying, this is not in our interest. Now, think about this. You could be the, the, big, the biggest, most loyal Democrat. You walk into a classroom. There in New York City, there's 19,000 more students of all ages. Every kid is going to be affected. Most of those kids do not speak English. They're going to need more resources, more money, less time for your kid, bigger classes, learn less. And these people are going to these kids are going to have the same access your kid has. And you're working two jobs to put your kid in a public school. So to me, it just seems to be uh, it seems to have changed. And it's really affecting uh, Democrats now, which makes me think there might be some hope in getting things done. What would you do if I just said to you in New York City right now, we have all these legal immigrants. What do we do with them? What would you say? Well, you know, I I, I think I would. um, (laughs) I think the worse it gets, the better it is for uh, the uh, for for Congress to actually act, because we are getting to a point, as I said before, where the center cannot hold. I would not expedite work authorizations, work visas. That's simply not possible. Immigration doesn't have the capacity to do that. They are already overloaded with the applications from people who have filed months ago, months before. You're not going to jump people ahead of line. Mm-hmm. You're simply – this is going to discourage people from coming in. If they see the chaos and they see that they're not going to get these benefits, there's there's no reason for them to come to the United States unless they are legitimate asylum seekers, unless there is someone with a gun to their head saying, we're going to kill you. Those people are fleeing for legitimate reasons. But if you're just coming here to work, you have to do it through a specific orderly process. And I wish I were president. I wish I were governor. I wish I had some power over this legislation and policy. I don't. I get to pick up the pieces with you know the, the clients that I see in my office. But honestly, what I would do, I think, for New York at the very least, is I would tell Mayor Adams that he needs to take control of this himself. It is not the fault of the rest of the counties in New York State. They're not the ones that signed an agreement with the federal government saying, you know, oh, well, okay, and the uh, the Office of Refugee Services, that they were going to essentially become a sanctuary city and take in everyone, you know, the the Emma Lazarus statue, the poem and everything. And he's going to have to figure out a way to do this. And I, but I don't have that answer. And I'm really glad I'm not the mayor of uh, New York. Christine Flowers, thanks so much. Have a great weekend. Take care, Brian. You too. Brian Kilmeade, show your calls next. I see you up there. It's Brian Kilmeade. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. I have the great honor of being arrested with our U.N. ambassador on the streets of Soweto. Angelo Negri, a conductor, senior conductor, walked up and said, Joey, baby, grabbed my cheek. I said, Angelo, I said, he's okay, he's a friend. True story. There were these two well-dressed men standing on the corner. The light changed. They kissed each other. And I'd never seen that before. I looked at my dad. He looked back at me and said, it's simple. They love each other. My grandpa, who I never met, he died in the same hospital I was born in two weeks before I was born. I almost lost my wife, my 67 Corvette, <laughs> and my cat. Okay. All those stories, all untrue. 
We knew they were untrue. You knew they were untrue. But now the Washington Post, who's about 10 years behind, Glenn Kessler says, yeah, none of these verify. And the reason why it's been so ridiculous, he brings up his small kitchen fire that required nobody hurt and no firefighters. He compares to what happened in Hawaii. And that was the breaking point. Tony, you're listening to WABC in Clifton. Hey, Tony. Hey, Brian. Brian, I have to give you a congrats. You did a stunning job on Victor Shokin. Uh, I just wish there were more investigators like you because I grew up with the Watergate guys and they were like, uh, they were like, what would you say? Just they're relentless. And the thing is, they have no interest. And Bob, and guess what, Tony? Bob Woodward still works at the Washington Post. He has more resources than I have ever. And he's got more contacts. He only wants to blow up Trump. He has no interest in finding out if Victor Shokin, the prosecutor in Ukraine, is telling the truth. And we're about to find out because I'm going for Poroshenko next week. And I want to find out if Victor Shokin's story adds up with Poroshenko, who they are evidently friends. And he was forced by Vice President Joe Biden to fire Victor Shokin. So I'll follow that up and I'll get to all the other calls. Brian Kilmeade. News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. 1 408 7669. This hour, we're going to be joined by Shannon Bream, who's standing by, and Sid Rosenberg. Uh, Sid has uh, been handling things on WABC in New York. Uh, also friendly with Eric Adams until recently. I uh, interviewed President Trump today. He's going to be joining me, and uh, he's going to be joining me in studio. And with this migrant crisis, it's become a national, international issue. I don't think any city has paid the bigger price as New York has, and it is because it's the biggest city, and they had their arms wide open. And now we're totally screwed. Cost of fifteen billion dollars means taxes are going to have to go up again. Before we get to Shannon, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. This um, administration has had the strongest response to economic competition and national security of any we've seen in decades. Beginning to hold China accountable in a way this country has not for too long. Uh, There you go. Uh, That is Congresswoman uh, Mikey Sherrill. Talking about how it's really uh, China is not a problem. I look at it as a two-tier problem. Their belligerence and our ignorance. Number two. We must expedite work visas. It's just common sense. We need the national government to stand up. This is not a New York City issue. This is a national issue. That is Mayor Eric Adams. That's what we were just discussing. The border busted administration blamed the Republicans. You can stop laughing now. While the overrun Democratic states with Democratic governors are told by the Democratic president, figure it out yourself. A family fight that we're all paying the price for. Number one. The basic principle in the criminal justice system is if a prominent person commits a crime and there's a and the seeking office, that doesn't give them immunity. The idea that this is interfering with the election is simply wrong. It is interfering, but it's you could say that Donald Trump did it himself for getting indicted, unless you think the indictments are all political. 2024, the not-so-subtle multi-front fight to keep Donald Trump off the ballot while the rest of the Republican field uh, picks up the intensity. Uh, let's welcome in Shannon Bream, getting set to host Fox News Sunday on this Labor Day weekend. Welcome back, Shannon. Good morning, Brian. All right, so first off, who's on your show this weekend? Well, I wish you hadn't asked me that because I've got someone— me. 
I, I can tell you this. we got somebody from the White House coming that I can announce a little bit later today, a little embargo on that. Um, and um, we are toying with a couple of other people on the other side of the aisle. You know, everybody who's running for president wants to come on at the same time. So, mm-hmm. you know, we're trying to make a decision. I know. And I guess the I lightning rod is... you come on and announce you're running for president before I know it. Well, I, first thing I'm going to do is um, name a super PAC and pretend I have nothing to do with me. And right, that's the first step. First thing I do, and I go, I have no idea why that super back formed, but I, I would. Cannot constant, you know, I can't communicate with them. I can't make any decisions regarding them. But I can appear at a fundraiser uh, in mm-hmm. Iowa, so and maybe even do a bus tour. But have nothing to do with me. And <laughs> you, you got it. You're ready to run for president, Shannon. So I have to ask you: Did you hear the story? Or did you hear about the story that Ron DeSantis' super back says I basically need fifty million dollars more? As, as solid a debate as he had, as much as he's been really strong on this hurricane, what's going on there? Well, think about, I mean, President Trump has, as he predicted months ago, if I get indicted, it's actually probably going to help my numbers. Well, it hasn't just helped him kill it in the polls, but also in fundraising. And you know, last week they raised millions of dollars. Uh, I think in the th- first three or four days after the mugshot was released and that processing happened, like seven over $7 million. He is a money-raising machine. Now, what people need to remember, and they're open about it, but a lot of that money is going to his legal defense. But still, um, he is raising money in a way that um, really, uh, for him, seems almost effortless. And for everybody else that's 20, 30, 40 points behind, they need every penny for advertising, for staffing, for everything else. They, you know, can try to catch up with the former president. But, you know, for him, the fundraising has been a whole nother level. Right. And what I think the gift to Nikki Haley has been and Mike Pence has been Vivek Ramaswamy. And Vivek is the one who is the breakout, uh, the breakout personality. I'm not sure he's winning over a lot of people, but he's getting he's getting a lot of attention. I hear the crowds mm-hmm. are getting big. So Nikki Haley, who's got a direct got a huge problem with Vivek's let's say unique foreign policy, said this. Cut three. He has shown that he's naive. The idea that he doesn't think we need to continue to partner with Israel. The idea that now he's saying that we shouldn't worry about Iran getting a nuclear bomb and we shouldn't defend ourselves against Iran. No one understands that. And it's naive to say, oh, we're going to go to Russia and tell them you quit playing with China. Um, It's just not accurate. And I'm always going to take the side of Israel. I'm always going to take the side of us being strong when it comes against you know, a terrorist group that says death to America. He's completely wrong on this. And the American people see that. And evidently the Trump camp feels as though Nikki Haley's on the ascent. Have you heard that? Yeah. And I think because, you know, the snap polling after the debate put her like in third place, I think she was one of the only three candidates who made it into double digits. Um, You know, we had her on Foxy Sunday this Sunday before, and we talked about like she loves policy. She loves the debate. Like she looked forward to that. I think she got in really early. I think she was the first, you know, prominent GOP person to say, like, I'm actually going to do a run at this thing, Um, which obviously did not sit well with the former president who said, you know, she had sort of telegraphed she wasn't going to run against him. Um, but she loves the debate. She loves policy. And so for her, I think all of this work the last few months has been get to that first debate stage, let people see who I am and um, in my most comfortable setting. So what about this move with the, with the plethora of legal cases and the 14th Amendment? If Donald mm-hmm. Trump's convicted, New Hampshire and other states are looking into ways to keep him off the ballot. Uh, is this possible? And how does the 14th Amendment line up with a would-be candidate's conviction? 
Well, you know, it's got this sort of disqualification clause in it. You know, if you are in trouble for any number of things, um, you know, insurrection and other, you know, then you're not, you can't run for president or you can't be president. And so there's been this debate. A lot of legal scholars on the left are encouraging secretaries of state across the country to say, okay, then by law and constitutionally, I can't let the former president be on. We all know, and it's important to remind folks, that Jack Smith, the special counsel, could have charged former President Trump with any number of things, but he didn't actually charge him with insurrection. I mean, um, it's notable that there are very specific words that are used with regard to January 6th, and yet those aren't part of the legal charges against him. So, um, you know, while there are a lot of, there are some legal scholars on the left arguing that for this 14th Amendment disqualification clause, there are a lot of other folks out there across the legal and political spectrum who say it is a long shot. I mean, best case scenario, it ends up at the Supreme Court and they say that's is or isn't what the 14th Amendment means. Um, But there are plenty of skeptics who think, you know, it's immediately going to be it's going to be challenged in court the minute a state attempts it. Right. Uh, But the delay, I guess uh, the fear is uh, for Republicans that you kick them off certain states, even states who are going to win, that'll hurt down ballot. Mm hmm. Exactly. And, you know, because, of course, the blue states are going to be the first ones to say, let's just keep them off the ballot. But, um, yeah, you're right. I mean, the impact is beyond just that presidential ticket. So uh, when you look at what's happening with the the border, I've never seen anything like it. I've never seen more cities affected. I've seen border states who are Mm -hmm. just outraged by it, but it's been just them. Now it is totally different. You have the Republican, excuse me, the Democratic governor showing up Mm -hmm. and not even getting any face time with the president. Then you have the basically saying, listen, we'll identify a few places, give you a little bit of money. But you're basically on your own. Eric Adams is mad at the state. The state is mad at the federal government. Mm -hmm. The federal government says that New York is wasting their money. The Massachusetts governor says, I'm declaring a state of emergency and mobilizing the National Guard. This is a huge issue. It is. And there are a lot of these jurisdictions who are mad now who they declared themselves sanctuary cities, counties, states, whatever it is. So they have to look around and see, you know, what part they might have played in leading to some of these things where, you know, you make um, policies attractive um, for people. And then uh, you, you know, RFK Jr. is one of the ones out there saying, like, you can't create the conditions to draw people here or to drive them out of their own countries. And then when they get here, say like, oh, you're not going to be treated in a certain way or that the left won't take responsibility in cases where they have declared sanctuary policies for drawing people there. But it is so interesting to see. We have heard for years, the last couple of years, very loud calls for help from the White House from the border states, and they have included Democrats, including people like Henry Cuellar. But now that this is flooding into other cities like Chicago and New York and other big blue strongholds, um, they are letting the White House know that they need to get you know, in line with doing something to help them. Um, and it, you know, you got to think about the, the governors, you know, from places like Florida and Arizona and Texas and other places that have been saying this for years um, are kind of thinking like, you know, welcome to my world. Right. Uh, so we're looking now at a president of the United States and a minority leader in the Senate and Senator Feinstein, a one-time respected senator uh, in the Senate and John Fetterman, who can't really get three cents out. It's just a fact. Uh, a lot of people are talking about eligibility to serve and also talking about aging out in term limits. How loud, even though the Congress is not in session, how loud is this conversation getting in, in your town? Yeah, the chatter is really starting to heat up because now both parties – 
have to discuss the issue. I mean, for a long time, you know, with Senator Feinstein, Democrats don't want her to walk away for any number of reasons. There are a lot of competing interests back in California and people who say, you know, if Newsom puts someone in that seat now, it gives a huge advantage for the, you know, reelection campaign. And, you know, you've got Nancy Pelosi on one side of that and other members of Congress on the other side. So that's kind of just a headache mess for them. But more importantly for Democrats, you know, they don't want her to give up that spot in the Senate Judiciary Committee. It's very important. And there's no guarantee that you know, Republicans show any interest in helping them play ball to reseat another person on that committee. Um, but now, you know, you and of course, Senator Fetterman, there are ongoing conversations and have been since, you know, during the election time about um, his place and his service. But now Republicans do have to acknowledge, you know, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell has had these two very public incidents being cleared by the doctor, um, says he's fine. Um, but you'll notice that neither side wants to get really public about it because they both have an interest in protecting their own party. Crazy stuff. Uh, of course, everybody wishes everybody the best. Uh, Senator Feinstein's just not there. I mean, I, people say that she doesn't know her name. And well, Mitch McConnell was obviously these ramifications that I hope are just from concussion and not mm-hmm. from Parkinson's for his sake. But mm-hmm. it does have people concerned. I, I don't see him leaving because of the Democratic governor. We'll report a Democrat there. But I could well, see him being removed from leadership. And I heard there was an emergency leadership meeting. Yeah, and, and there are some conversations that are ongoing here that I think it, we're going to hear more about them probably trickling out. But remember in Kentucky, they changed the law back in 2021 um, to make it so that the party of the outgoing senator, say it was – you know, either senator from Kentucky, they give three names to the governor, and he has to pick from those three names. So it's a very weird situation. Um, some states handle it differently, but that does mean um, you could get a Republican probably in that seat if the scenario plays out as explained. But I think you're right that the conversation about leadership, GOP leadership in the Senate, is the bigger one. Uh, all right. So, Shannon, you're working on Memorial Day, excuse me, yeah, Labor Day weekend. So You know it. We're here to serve the people. All right. And don't forget to watch. We, I have a, a best of comedians on Saturday night at 8 o'clock Ooh. on One Nation. None of them are going to be as funny as you. You are v- you in a very good tip. mood today. Uh, every day? Okay. When have you seen me not in a good mood? Oh, that's true, too. Which, <laughs> yeah, that's true. I do want to get a blood test on you to see if this is real. I am. Okay. Shout well, out Saturday and then Sunday. All right. Uh, okay, thanks bye. so much. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. Let me squeeze in one call. Ron, WABC on Long Island. Hey, Ron. Ron's not there. Hey, Ryan in Rockland County. All right, Brian. Ryan got a little stage fright there. I know. First, let me open up. But you're a big sports guy. Today's the hundredth anniversary of Rocky Marciano's uh, birthday. Who would want to be on a receiving punch from that guy? I don't think anybody would. Um, the thing now is we got to remember we have an open border policy where everybody's coming in, and we also have the biggest welfare system ever. In mankind, there's never been anything like this. So they're all coming in here. They're changing the demographics. The hard left controls Biden. That's why they're making him do it. He, I mean, regardless of whether he knows he's doing it or not, they're doing it, and it's changing everything. Over 10 million people have come into this country, folks, legally, illegally and also tourist visas, refugees, everything in the last two and a half years of Joe Biden. That is the equivalent. You ready for this, folks? That is the equivalent of 16 congressional districts. Your country is being overturned. Go, Buchanan, go. Go, Buchanan, go. Go, Buchanan, go. All right. Thank you very much. Uh, 1-866-408-7669. Sid Roseberg coming up next. We'll take some more calls also. 
Joe Biden is finally being called out for his ridiculous false stories that are supposed to enhance his ego and his prestige and is doing just the opposite. We'll play his statements and I'll let you know what The Washington Post has even found out. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. I had the great honor of being arrested with our U.N. ambassador on the streets of Soweto. Angelo Negri, a conductor, senior conductor, walked up and said, Joey, baby, grabbed my cheek. I said, Ange, I said, he's okay, he's a friend. True story. There were these two well-dressed men standing on the corner, the light changed. They kissed each other, and I'd never seen that before. I looked at my dad. He looked back at me and said, it's simple. They love each other. My grandpa, who I never met, he died in the same hospital I was born in two weeks before I was born. I almost lost my wife, my 67 Corvette, <laughs> and my cat. So it's all those stories are totally false, and he keeps telling them almost his whole entire life. He says he was in South Africa, was arrested protesting for the release of Nelson Mandela, and then he was forced to admit, uh, I never got past the airport. And then he said recently that he convinced Jesse Holmes to sign the Civil Rights Act in 1964. He was 21. Uh, impossible. He was not even in the Senate. He knew who, probably who Jesse Helms was. That story about uh, his uh, fire, totally not true. All pointed out in the Washington Post today that all these little fables that are supposed to enhance him and make him strong and tough and one through it all are just false. And he should stop telling him. Does anyone have the guts to go up to him and just say, Joe, none of this stuff is true? I mean, that doesn't add up. You're embarrassing yourself for continuing to say it. The other story uh, was uh, the house fire. He said two two uh, firemen were hurt. No, nobody was hurt. Fire trucks are cold. They didn't go inside. Could it have been yeah, bad? Yeah, but it wasn't bad. Everything could have been bad. The head-on collision you didn't get into. Could it have been bad? Yeah. If I got into it, it would have been bad. But he's allowed to get away with all this stuff because he's Joe Biden. The problem is he tells his whole life he graduated with honors with a scholarship and graduated as a double major, uh, just a major, no scholarship. And he said it was the top of his class. He was at the bottom of his class. Does that scare you? Same guy that looked into the uh, camera and said 51 Intel experts say that uh, they, that laptop was Russian disinformation, classic Russian disinformation, knowing it was his son's laptop. He has a, it's distinguished people putting their name out there in front of him uh, to back him up even though they know or they probably knew that this was indeed his laptop. Another one, uh, they fact-checked the Mandela story, and they said he was arrested standing on the porch of a black couple who was subjected to demonstrations uh, because they moved into a neighborhood that was predominantly white. But when they investigated this story, the story didn't add up. There was a protest of a black couple which had purchased a house in an all-white area, but it was a neighborhood many miles away from Joe Biden. Journalists threw cold water on Biden's civil rights story as well. Quote, Biden had a tangential role in the civil rights movement. The fact checker determined that he participated in one walkout at a restaurant and picketed a segregated movie theater. And yet sometimes he has suggested he was arrested advocating on the behalf of black people. And it just wasn't the case. We know about the Nelson Mandela story. It goes on and on and on. And he's our president. Scary. Brian Kilmeade Show. Inside the migrant crisis, with the mayor's thinking, the war with the governor, and what it means for the country. Don't move.
Corn Pop was a bad dude. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. I can't wait for Republicans to understand that they have a responsibility to work with President Biden, to work with Democrats in the House and Senate, and come up with a solution once and for all, because the American people have been talking about immigration for decades, and they want answers. But I can't wait for that. I have to deal with the crisis in our state. And that is Governor Hochul. You're, you're right. I'll give you that. You have a crisis in your state and you have an uh, you have a little bit of an issue with your mayor and you have a president of the United States who you went to the White House and he wouldn't even give you the time of day. He said stuck you with the chief of staff and basically said you're on your own. I'll give you Atlantic City's airport. Sid Rosenberg is outraged by this. He's the host of Sid and Friends of the Morning on 77 WABC. He's writing in, in the Nexus. In fact, I know you were with Curtis Sliwa. Were you arrested? I was not arrested. We uh, rallied or protested twice together in Brooklyn last Tuesday, Floyd Bennett Field. The following Thursday, the Toys R Us parking lot. You all know that around the country on uh, Flatbush Avenue. Not arrested, but I never protested in my life. I mean, did you chant anything? Um, yes. What did you chant? Send them home. <laughs> I swear to God. And, and, and I always make fun of protesters. I really do. But uh, this specific place is three miles from my house. I just bought this house. It's a lot of money, Brian. Beautiful neighborhood. So now it's very personal to me. But Kathy Hochul's a liar. She is a witch. She is uh, everything wrong with politics today. She actually... She actually makes Andrew Cuomo look good, and I'm not sure that at this point Eric Adams doesn't make Bill de Blasio look good. That's how bad and how much they lie to New Yorkers, both the governor, Kathy Hochul, and the mayor I used to like very much, Eric Adams. Uh, Tell tell people around the country how bad this problem is. It's horrendous. I mean, you're talking about uh, all the boroughs at this point have been affected. Uh, Long Island scared to death. I speak to Bruce Blakeman almost uh, at least once a week, the Nassau County County executive. Uh, It's right there. It's right there. Uh, You've got thousands and thousands, and it's not even kids or women. It's able-bodied men, testosterone-driven, able-bodied men. They should not even be eligible. Of course not. I mean, I had Donald Trump on my show this morning, and, and he went off on this for a good four minutes that he can't believe there are unvetted illegals. Forget about asylum seekers. That sounds lovely. Migrants. Thousands of illegals that are unvetted. A lot of these people escape from prisons. You don't know who these people are. And they're living three miles from my house with a beautiful 19-year-old daughter and a gorgeous wife. So here's the thing. Did anyone get a heads up on this? Didn't they assure you that that wouldn't be the case? i tell you something. Uh, the rally I went to a couple of weeks ago, there's a councilwoman in my neighborhood, New York. Her name is Joanne Ariola. She was on my radio show three months ago, Brian. I said, I'm getting word from my dear friend Curtis Sliwa that these migrants are coming to Floyd Benefield. And she said, let me say something to you, okay? I don't take my advice, my orders, or take news from radio hosts. She wow. Sla- yeah, yeah. <laughs> and guess what happened three months later? Sid Rosenberg was right. Joanne Ariola was wrong. She knew about it. She lied, too. The moral of the story is, at this point in New York, Democrats lie, 
Republicans lie. Everybody is lying. I'm they're making money. I don't know what the case is, but you can't trust any politicians on the migrant crisis in New York. Well, put it this way: the now the, the Fed, that had, Floyd Bennett Field had to be a federal facility. It's a federal facility, correct? So and, and so was the Atlantic City Airport, right? A federal and you, facility. And I was told that there's a law that they can't use it unless they want to. They could overturn it. The federal government has the last say. So, for example, we had a guy, a lawyer on Staten Island, terrific guy, uh, Lou, and he fought this thing. And uh, remember on Staten Island, St. Johnsville Academy, he won it, and they turned it around an hour later. So, basically, the government does whatever they want. All right. So, I want you to hear your buddy, Eric Adams. He he does not bring you. I've I've only met him once. How'd that go? Uh, Well, I went up to him at the Al Smith dinner. And he's on the dais, so he knows how important I am. <laughs> so I woke up to him, I introduced myself, yeah. and he just says, I go, hey, listen, uh, congratulations on winning the election. And I said, would there be a chance I can catch up with you? I know you're on with Sid all the time. He goes, yeah, sure. He goes, just give my office a call. And he gave me your buddy, Fabian. Fabian is, Levy. Fabian Levy. Yeah. And I've had a 20 conversations. Come with him. on. And you know how many times he's been on the show? I'm going to go with zero. Zero. Wow. Yeah. We were working on it. We're thinking about it. Well, that's I'll get, we get back to you. That's been me the last seven weeks, and I dined with this guy. We had lunch together, dinner together. We talked work, on the phone. Did you we work texted. out together? We basically did everything but sex. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and he won't call me either. Well, well, because you've been critical of him. Well, when you do a bad job, I don't care who you are. Right. What about me? If I have a bad day, are you going to be critical of me? You it hasn't happened yet. You, but you haven't had a bad day. Yeah. So God forbid you do. I'm going to say I may be, but you haven't had a bad day yet. Right. But if you might be quick. Listen, listen, Brian, yesterday, he should get out of the business. I would say, yeah, please go home. Yeah. yeah. yeah absolutely. <laughs> All right. Here is Mayor Eric Adams yesterday. Don't get me sidetracked, please. Cut now. We must expedite work visas. It's just common sense. Thousands of jobs are available to be filled to provide the services we need in the city, the state, and this country. And to have a new wave of individuals coming here to participate in the American dream says it all. We need the national government to stand up. This is not a New York City issue. This is a national issue, and it must be resolved by the national issue. So don't critique what we've done. Don't tell us how we could have done it better. Don't sit in the bleachers and be a detached spectator on this full contact sport call asylum seekers. Get on the field and fight this battle with yeah, well, yeah, I'll go. Uh, who's the mayor? Mayor him. He's the mayor. He's got a lot of balls telling us it's our problem, not his. And I want to remind people out there that may not know this, you're not in New York, that uh, he, he uh, reminded people a lot that, hey, we're a sanctuary city. Come one, come all, we got you. And when they came, he actually was on the welcoming committee. Yeah. Shaking hands, giving out money. And when they came, they didn't go to benches like the homeless or our veterans. They went to four-star hotels. They got free <clears> dinners <throat> and wine. He is the reason why they keep coming. Now he's decided a year later because you can't handle it. Oh, it's not my problem, but I can tell you right off the bat, Eric Adams has been a major part of the problem, not the solution. Right. Well, you know, and by the way, uh, the governor of Massachusetts says open up your house and just let, allow people to live with you. Yes. Really? And Eric Adams actually said not that long ago, look, look, Gracie Mansion's a big place. He's never there, by the way, never. Uh, I'll I'll bring some people here. So we brought it up to him last week, and unfortunately, he's taking that deal off the table. Right. You know what's amazing? (laughs) Didn't they set up a huge tent city? 
for a week. No one came, and they took it down. I thought, okay, I guess, I guess they slowed it down. I guess they're not coming. Now, now it's three times as many people. You know how many millions of dollars we wasted? At least I was in a parking lot near AOC's yes, district. Yes, yes. And uh, now we're now we're back on the turf at Randall's Island, which you talk about all the time because you're a great father. I mean that sincerely, and you like soccer, right? And there's a huge can I just say so- some you have not talked to any of my children to verify. No, that I don't story. know that at all. Right. Sean Hannity told me that. Right. You just you saw that I. Uh, <laughs> they I'm a great father. No, but I see you run all over the place. You go to college. You're at games at your kids. I'm going to my daughter's college game today. Now, what does she go to school? Uh, don't don't, I'd rather yeah, not okay, share okay. I mean, can you... Is there anything? Do you tell everybody everything about yourself? Have you heard the show? Yeah. My wife wants to throw me out already. She's right. like, can you please talk? I tell them where she runs, where my kids go to school. I say everything. But on a serious note, that field is used by a ton of kids. Not now. Not now. And, Eric and, Adams, no problem. And his answer was classic. He said, yeah, I got a guy in charge of that. I'm sure he made the right choice. I got a guy in charge of that? What does that mean? I got a guy, too. Every time I hear the American dream thing, too, it makes me nauseous. Look, my grandparents came from Poland. They came from Russia. They came from Germany. I understand all that. But they came in legally. They were vetted. It's not the same anymore. Eric, you can't compare it. And, again, I still cannot get over our politicians treating this illegals, illegals better than Americans. That includes homeless that includes veterans. How about helping our people first? Is that a lot to ask? No, it isn't. And when people call your show, do they understand that their New York issue is the national issue and that these other states are falling apart and they're knuckling under? By well, They get 5,000. They call in the National Guard. We have 84,000. Yeah, no, I mean, look, it's, it's worse in Texas, obviously. I feel horrible for those people. But New York and California, and I would say that outside of Trump, who continues to be the biggest story every second, every day. This migrant crisis, you're right, in New York, is now a national story. You have a brand new house. Did you move in? I moved in uh, last year. My pipes burst Christmas. I was forced to leave for six months, move back to the city. I moved back into my house about two months ago. So do you have room for a migrant? Could you take one and maybe set an example? Oh, absolutely. I could take 10. I could take 20. Ten, take 10 or 20. Oh, I could if I wanted to. Right. And you. <laughs> and the bottom line is you don't want to. And not because I don't blame these people. I don't. If, if I'm in Honduras right now and somebody got shot outside my door, I'm coming to New York, too. I don't blame the migrants. Right. I blame the politicians. But I don't know who these people are. They're not vetted. I don't want them. Send them back. That sounds insensitive. I'm sorry. I don't know who these people are. They may be wonderful people. Send them back. I sound like Trump. Right. A little bit. Like, a little like sound Trump. I wouldn't have. He needs a running mate eventually. Sid, why not you? Why not you? I, I would take the job yesterday. Do you, you know one thing Trump could do? What you've done with your show. Instead of saying Sid, used to be Bernie and Sid. Right. A specific person. Right. So instead of Trump picking pants, why doesn't Trump and friends? I like that even And he better. gets to pick a bunch of uh, vice presidents. I love presidents. that. You should do that. Like Maybe seven vice presidents. Yeah. When I brought up this morning the VP to him today, he was so unenthusiastic. He said, listen, Sid, no VP has ever won the presidency. I don't, you know, Vivek or Sanctimonious or any one of these folks. Maybe DeSantis. even Tulsa Will Gabbard. You stop with don't, don't, well, that's what he says. Yeah, I don't say. Yeah. I like Ron. Well, just say really his name actually. right. Uh, what is his name? DeSantis. No, it's not. Back in a moment. <laughs> <laughs> Coming to you on a need-to-know basis, because, man, do you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. 
We've got a few minutes. Uh, Sid Rosenberg here in WABC finishing out, really leading up to uh, up to Labor Day. Uh, I got to ask you, Sid, the President of the United States, finally we have a book out. I couldn't believe there's been no leaks about President Biden. Usually, you know, every time Trump lost his temper here, Trump was volatile to, okay, calm down. Well, that's part of it. These people want to, okay, they're scared. Of, or, Joe Biden, you don't hear anything. No. Until this book comes out. There's two books about to come out simultaneously. Number one, he made those decisions in Afghanistan catastrophic to our national security and our reputation virtually alone. Number two, they cheat him like a toddler. They, there were reports that they, whatever they do, they walk it back. They don't even check with him. How bad is this book going to be? And what do you think the reality is when you do the autopsy on who is actually running things? Well, I think uh, people like me who don't like him to begin with are going to say, I knew it. And people that love him and hate Trump or Ron will defend him. I mean, look, the Afghanistan thing, again, Trump brought up on my show this morning. He said, let me tell you what I did, Sid. I called the leader of the Taliban. He told me his name. I forgot his name. And he said, Al Barter, Al Barter, whatever. Bang, exactly right. He said, "Here's, here's what I can tell you. He goes, Pointed to a map. He said, you see, uh, this is where your family lives. And he didn't say to me on the air, if you do something stupid, even move a hair on an American soldier, I'm going to kill all of them. But he did kind of say that. And he said, Biden is absolutely responsible, solely responsible. Forget about uh, the rest of these uh, military people for 13 deaths. So I think the reaction will be, again, for people that don't like him, (laughs) nothing new there. I could have told you this. And people that like him will say, this is a hit job. But here's the thing. Uh, and the play-by-play, these, all these military guys that turned on Trump, like Millie, yeah. oh, I'm going to call China and tell them, don't worry, we're not going to bomb. This guy's like, I didn't want to put my stars on the ground. But when he said that, I knew uh, well, this is never going to work. Really? So you're doing an analysis on a job you should be doing. Uh, here is uh, Byron York on, the, on this book that's going to be explosive called The Last Politician, Cut 25. I think it kind of shows that Joe Biden is exactly the guy we thought he was. Uh, on the Afghan withdrawal, the disastrous Afghan withdrawal, he thought he knew more than anybody else about it because he had been on Senate committees uh, for a million years. He micromanaged it, uh, probably made things worse, and then ta- didn't, wouldn't take any blame at all for it. I mean, that's kind of what we thought about what was going on. And there's, there's one more thing he occasionally has told aides that he feels tired well, we can actually see that. I mean, if he told his aides, you know, I think I'm just too old for this job. Now, that would be news. Uh, but I think we're really learning basically what we already knew about Joe Biden. If Donald Trump had said, uh, when asked about Hawaii, no comment, twice. Oh, please. And Come then on. they say four days later, he didn't hear the question. He, he looked right at the guy's eyes, heard the question. By the way, Byron York said exactly what I said. We're going to say we kind of knew that already. But going back to Donald Trump and Joe Biden, of the two, as far as I can remember, Joe Biden is the sitting president of the two who was the first and only one to go to East Palestine, Ohio. Donald Trump, I believe that was the day when it all started to turn around because Trump had a horrible December. He had the Kanye West dinner. He had the uh, the trading card thing, the Constitution. The midterm elections. Right, exactly. And it started to turn around when he went to East Palestine. The one thing about Trump, when Americans have their issues, he's there. This administration... They don't care. They'll go to Ukraine, right? Oh, you, oh, Zelensky needs money because, by the way, he gave my, his government gave my son a job. But reason, uh, they don't care about this country. Trump does. And he did say, without any hesitation, Joe Biden is far and away the worst president in the country's history, gone way past Jimmy Carter. So do you think that you believe, are you, Sid Rosenberg believes that this will be the matchup? That it'll be a rematch? It will be the matchup only if the Democrats allow it. 
Trump's going to win the primary. This idea that, oh, there's a lot of time. There's, uh, stop, stop. It's over. Iowa could be a lot more hard, <laughs> a lot harder than you think. No, no, it's not. It is over. Uh, who he's going to face? Everybody I talk to keeps saying the same thing. I don't think Biden's going to run. So, so who's going to be Trump Newsom? Are they going to convince Michelle Obama to do this? I don't know. But it'll be Trump versus someone. So uh, you could you be afraid to say anything different because your mother loves Trump. That's and if correct. you said that, she would start yelling at you. Especially with Rosh Hashanah a couple of weeks away. Right. <laughs> then you, that means you've got to spend quality time together. Oh, 100%. i got all the Jewish holidays coming up. I love them to death. Then we can talk again in October. All right. So, <laughs> so we know Joe Biden makes stuff up. Today, Glenn Kessler wrote the story how these stories don't add up. Here's an example of Joe Biden just making crap up. Cut five. I had the great honor of being arrested with our U.N. ambassador on the streets of Soweto. Angelo Negri, a conductor, senior conductor, walked up and said, Joey, baby, grabbed my cheek. I said, Ange, I said, he's okay, he's a friend. True story. There were these two well-dressed men standing on the corner, the light changed. They kissed each other, and I'd never seen that before. I looked at my dad. He looked back at me and said, it's simple. They love each other. My grandpa, who I never met, he died in the same hospital I was born in two weeks before I was born. I almost lost my wife, my 67 Corvette, <laughs> and my cat. You're a lion dog-faced pony soldier. <laughs> so that's the only thing that's true. Well, well, you, had, you had the fire thing in the kitchen, too. Ne- never happened? Never no, happened. They said firefighters almost died, no, no showed up. Never. And, and the worst of all, his son, Bo, who, of course, you remember, died in Afghanistan, Iraq, not even close, died in a hospital here in the United States. How does he get away with doing this? And, for example, he says, Joey, baby, this guy was dead since 1993. He's telling a story that happened when he was vice president. And then he didn't, never got arrested outside Mandela's never. prison cell. Never. They said, yeah, I'll find further review. You're right. I was, I was stuck at the airport. And then the other thing he said is, I was from the top of my class. I got a full scholarship. He was at the bottom. He was at the bottom of his he class. A moron. He had a double major. He had a single major. <laughs> He's a moron. Right. But the liberal media says, yeah, so he bends the truth just a little. He didn't lie 300 times like Trump did yesterday. See, as long as Donald Trump is out there, no matter what Biden does, it's never nearly as bad as Donald. Right. And but he's going to go away one day, Donald, whether he wins or loses or just you know, ages out. Then what are they going to do? Well, here's the thing, Sid. You, one day you're going to have to move on. Who's going to have a harder time? Uh, Trump when he moves on, whether he serves or not, or you? Wow, that is, that is a really good question. I'm going to go with me. Because yeah, yeah. you always uh, you will have, uh, the, Eric's only a phone call away. Eric or Don Jr. And whomever knows, maybe Barron one day. One Bar- day. Barron's like 6'8". I know, he's huge. And what, is he going to play soccer in college? Can you find that out? Soccer? I want him on the Knicks. I know. <laughs> that would be great. Sid Rosenberg, I'm going to listen to you every morning, 6'9", even though I have a job at that time. I love you. This is Jimmy Fallon, inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.